0: Good morning. My name is Keith Hurd. I'm an attorney with Birkin Parsons, a maritime Can law firm here in Manhattan. Uh, our topic for this session is: Is arbitration your best alternative for dispute resolution? Before we get into the meat and potatoes of our topic, let me just introduce our four panelists, starting at the far right. Uh, Dick Corwin was a practicing maritime lawyer in Manhattan uh, from 1971 until '95 when he opened Guard's commercial correspondency in New York. He ran that office for 10 years and then moved to the Far East, where he was uh, managing director and regional director of Guard Asia, operating out of offices in Hong Kong and Tokyo. Dick retired in 2015 and is now a member of New York Society of Maritime Arbitrators. To his left, the man with the famous mustache is David Martowski. David was also in private practice in New York with the firm of Curlin, Campbell, and Keating before he was tapped by the UK Club in the early 1980s to found their commercial correspondent in the United States, Transport Mutual Services, which became Thomas Miller Americas, uh, of which David became chairman. And then later on, he became a partner at Thomas Miller, retiring in 2004 after 25 years of the Miller Organization He too is a member of the Society of Maritime Arbitrators and he is a past president of the SMA. Uh, To David's left is Molly McCafferty, uh, also a trained attorney who worked with uh, Thomas, well this is about dispute resolution, right? This is where the gloves come off. Uh, Molly worked with Thomas Miller in Miami before then moving to Clipper Bulk in Stanford where she is uh, the manager of insurance and claims She is a more recent member of the Society of Maritime Arbitrators, having been tapped for that role uh, several Mm -hmm. years ago. And finally, we are graced with the presence of Leanne O'Loughlin, whose initials I just noted are LOL. And if you don't know what that means, see me after the program. Uh, Leanne is triple admitted. She's admitted to practice in Ireland, where she is from, uh, in England and Wales, and in the state of New York. She worked for a law firm in Dublin. Mm -hmm. She then, beginning in 2010, began work as a claims executive with Charles Taylor & Co, who are the managers of the Standard P&I Club in London, before moving to New York in 2013 to occupy a similar role in the Standard Club's office here in New York. So that's your panel. Uh, Long on experience and knowledge in this field. So uh, we're gonna talk about arbitration as a form of alternative dispute resolution. And some of you might ask, Well, alternative to what? Alternative to litigation. Alternative to suing someone in court. We believe that there are advantages presented by the arbitration system over litigation. And that's one of the points that we'll cover here today. Um, I'll now turn the program over to Molly, who will take us through uh, a description of some of the different forms of ADR.
1: So I'm going to do this really, really quickly, but I do have some slides here, and I believe it's going to be made uh, accessible to everyone afterwards so you can follow along uh, at some later time. Alternative dispute resolution, three major types. Um, Usually it's defined as any method of uh, resolving disagreements other than by litigation. Very simple concept. Three major types. Of negotiation can be as formal or as informal as the parties want. The beautiful thing about negotiation is that the parties control the outcome. If there's any outcome or no outcome, oftentimes it's used to limit issues, um, we'll go a little bit further. Mediation is the second type of uh, ADR, and this is where you bring in a, a neutral third party to listen to both sides. Not uh, and provide a, a, a more of a <coughs> facilitator, to encourage an agreed resolution. Again, the parties make the decision. The mediator is there just to encourage the parties to have the discussions. And then the third kind, which we're going to talk about <coughs> a little bit uh, more detail, is arbitration. So you're going to see quickly uh, negotiation. Um, here you've got some of the mediation. It can be voluntary or uh, mandatory. Um, and then here we get to arbitration. Uh, and these are the general... Uh, uh, tenets of arbitration.
0: And I think we're going to... Yeah, we can hold off on that. We'll get into that in a bit. So we're going to talk specifically about arbitration (coughs) in New York. But before we do that, we're going to turn to Leanne and ask her to just discuss um, for you what are some of the perceived benefits of the arbitration process over litigating a dispute in court. Leanne.
2: Thank you. Um, I mean, in a nutshell, coming from a p club, and I, I assume for most commercial people out there, uh, fees and expense are going to be a huge part of any decision. Uh, the litigation process all over the world, but particularly in the States, is renowned for being extremely expensive. Um, there are multiple rights of appeal, so it can be a long process. And there is a certain level of uncertainty, particularly if you're dealing with uh, juries, but also if you're dealing with just one judge making a decision. Um, so, it's, it's certainly preferred to find an alternative to litigation. Um, Molly's discussed some of the options mediation settlements, you know, b- b- as cheaply as possible, um, but if mediation settlements are not going to work out, an arbitration clause is certainly preferred. Um, the reasons behind that are flexibility. Arbitration clauses are written into a contract. That means that the parties to that contract have freedom in terms of stipulating the format and the procedures around the arbitration. And when the arbitration panel is put together, that flexibility continues. Um, So you're not bound by strict procedures, which can sometimes work to rack up costs and and increase the length of time. Um, Another huge benefit to arbitration is that the parties to the dispute have the option of selecting their arbitrator. Um, And in doing so, they can select somebody who truly understands the nature of the dispute. Um, They can appoint a commercial individual, somebody with experience in in this specific area of business. They can appoint a legal person if they want. It's complete freedom. Um, And that avoids the risk of of being allocated a judge who is not a marine judge and may not understand the nature of the issues that are at dispute or at the heart of the dispute. I'm probably going to keep on talking about costs and expense, um, so I won't bang on about it right now. But the savings in terms of discovery costs, deposition costs, all of these different types of motions that can be brought can be huge. Um, and so even the freedom, even, even just on deposition, that you know, oftentimes from the club's perspective will be advised by our lawyers that even though we want to settle a dispute or we want to come to some type of negotiated finality to it, we have to go through the entire discovery process. And at that stage, we've incurred the huge majority of the legal expense on the file. Uh, going straight to arbitration can be more cost effective. Um, And, well, there's security. This is the the other point. Um, I believe in litigation, you can get security for your costs. Uh, whereas in arbitration, you can get security for the entire claim. This can be award- or ordered by the arbitrator. Um, so you know, particularly if you're a ship owner uh, and you're you're involved in an arbitration with a charterer, for example, it's easy to arrest an owner's ship and obtain security. But it's not always so easy for the owner to get security against a charterer. So that flexibility and that security is huge. Um, and then there's uh, the finality. So. I know that there are different views on uh, whether or not uh, endless rights to appeal are a good or a bad thing. But from a P&I Club perspective, even if we lose a case, which we don't like doing, at least we know we have finality. We can close our files. We can do whatever we need to do with the estimates. So um, the fact that the arbitration award is, is effectively final is uh, a huge benefit.
0: Thanks, Leanne. Uh, just as arbitrations may differ one to the next because the parties control the process and they can tailor it to their needs in the clause. It is also the case that arbitrations differ depending on what forum you select around the world, and there are now many. But New York and London remain the leading forum for a resolution of maritime disputes. The panel will now talk about what we regard as some of the distinctive and salutary <coughs> aspects of arbitrating maritime disputes in New York. And we begin with David Martowski.
3: Thank you, uh, Keith. Uh, I'm a little throaty this morning, but as the lady of the night said to the sailor, I'm not contagious. (coughs) Uh, The world's maritime arbitral venues all seek to accomplish three goals. Uh, One, getting it right, and that is whether a party wins or loses, they're able to walk away from the proceedings satisfied they had a fair and impartial hearing. Secondly, expeditiously, and thirdly, at a reasonable cost. It really is that simple. New York offers two distinct features that no other venue can compete with, and this is the five-minute version on both. Consolidation under Rule 2. Rule 2 provides that whenever a dispute or disputes arise under two or more contracts subject to the SMA rules and concern a common question of fact or law, or a substantial degree involved the same transactions, The parties agree to resolve all such disputes in a consolidated arbitration before a panel consisting of either a sole arbitrator or failing which a panel of three. Consolidation of maritime claims makes good commercial sense, particularly with respect to disputes that may run up and or down the charter part of chain as it provides one agreed forum for efficiently, cost-effectively, and consistently resolving all disputes between multiple parties. Section two of the SME rules, while prohibiting class action arbitrations following the Stolt-Nielsen Supreme Court decision in 2010, provides a clear mechanism for selecting and appointing a consolidated panel and ordering consolidation when appropriate. Consolidation, I should add, is not undertaken lightly uh, or ordered with impunity. Secondly, U.S. arbitrators are empowered to order the posting of pre-award security in certain cases, which is a very powerful provisional tool. There's nothing more frustrating than uh, for a prevailing party after lengthy and costly arbitration proceedings, to discover that there are no funds to satisfy an award in its favor at the end of the road. The overall objective of this empowerment is that arbitrations should not be merely an academic uh, exercise, and its goal is to ultimately prevent a Pyrrhic victory. It's not exercised with impunity, but only after careful consideration has been given to the nature of the claim, the defense and the claimant's likelihood of success, the opposing party's conduct and financial condition and if there are other means of securing the claim. It's not a determination on the merits and without prejudice to the opposing party's defenses. It is set in a reasonable amount subject to adjustment and is ordered posted by a date certain in a form acceptable to the requesting party. The record for the ordering of security in New York uh, had been uh, held for many years the amount of $14.5 million in a piracy case. About three months ago, that record was surpassed, and a New York panel ordered the posting of $63 million. Lastly, confidentiality. You'll hear from Leanne about the benefits of the publication of awards. Uh, However, rule one provides that the award will be held confidential if both parties request it. We're seeing more and more requests of this nature Uh, simply because uh, the parties don't wish their breaches of conduct to become known or the case involves proprietary or commercially sensitive information or one of the parties does not want its financial condition known to the world. Uh, The number of cases that were not published with confidentiality labels used to be about 8%. I would estimate today they're closer to 15%. The other thing we're seeing is more and more use of um, confidentiality agreements or protective orders. This is to protect not necessarily the issuance of the final award, which the parties may be happy with, but any rulings in the in the meantime. That's the five-minute version. If you wish papers on these points, you kindly leave me your cards and I'll see you receive copies.
0: Thank you. Thanks, David. Now we go to Dick Corwin.
4: Thanks, Keith. Uh, When we were getting ready for this panel discussion, Keith asked us, well, what does make New York arbitration different? And uh, actually, it was quite an interesting conversation because each one of us picked on things that we particularly liked as a feature of New York arbitration. So for me, one of the ones I've always liked is the ability to appoint an arbitrator without any appointment fee. And why is that significant? Well, there's no hurdle to start the arbitration. And uh, this permits a party or a claims person or even somebody sitting in a charter's office who's having difficulty with someone on the opposite side who just doesn't answer emails or doesn't respond to a uh, request to pay to say, okay, I'm gonna light a fire under them. Find an arbitrator, send an email, I've appointed so-and-so as the arbitrator. It's no fuss, it's no muss, and it tends to get the other party off the dime and get them moving to respond to what you want to have happen. And of course, if they don't appoint somebody in response, if you have a clause such as the SMA clause that permits you to appoint an arbitrator on their behalf if they don't appoint, that also is another tool to get the thing moving quickly. Also, I like New York arbitration because no administrative fees. I mean, some of us are familiar with AAA or ICC. They have administration uh, fees. But there are other venues. Singapore has two different arrangements. There can be fees there and other venues. So New York is nice, no fees. It's a a volunteer organization, in effect. And uh, that permits saving on costs. Also, and it sort of falls in place with the idea of appointing an arbitrator without any, the hurdle of paying any appointment fee, we don't need counsel to appoint. Counsel need not appear for a party at a hearing. Or if you have counsel in New Orleans or someplace else that you prefer to use, counsel can be used from anywhere or non-counsel to represent the interests of a party in an SMA arbitration. I think that's a nice feature. Likewise, if you have the SMA rules some people would think, well gee, if I put those rules as governing arbitration in my charter contract or other type of contractual arrangement that's going to bind me to a limited set or roster of the members of the SMA when we may come to the point where it's possible to have to appoint somebody, but that's not the fact. The SMA rules do not require that the appointed arbitrator be a member of the SMA. So it's an an area of flexibility that may not be present in some other venues. I think another thing that, and this is, let's say, a more recent development that's good about arbitration here, is flexibility in video witness testimony, even appearance by counsel in other areas to argue uh, on behalf of some kind of a request for relief or simply to participate in the hearing and to participate by video conferencing. It saves on cost. It sort of picks up on something that was said earlier. And I think it shows that the the New York arbitral community is forward-looking, trying to use new tools, use them easily, not make it complicated to get things moving along in a good way. And another uh, area that I think is interesting concerns declaratory relief. Panels of arbitrators in New York are vested with a lot of powers that may not be present in other venues. And one of them is declaratory relief. And I'll just give a quick example. Let's say you have a contract of a freightment five-year deal, bauxite to be picked up at some port repetitively, month by month, so many tons. But there's an argument after three or four months about a particular port that might not, from the point of view of the, of the uh, owner, fit within the range of ports or berths where he thought he was going to have to go to load. And because the contract is a continuing contract, going on for another four plus years, there's an issue. To knock that issue off, you can ask a panel of arbitrators look at the charter party, look at the range of ports, hear our arguments. We want you to declare to us whether or not this port that the charter is saying I should go to is in fact within the range that is within the charter agreement or the COA agreement. So I think that's a nice power. It can happen quite rapidly. You can get that kind of a decision quickly. Uh, Those are just a few of the points I had on my mind and uh, appreciate your listening.
0: Thanks, Dick. It should be evident to you from Dick's comments that the arbitration process is a very flexible one and that if the agreements of the parties or the requests of the parties are reasonable, you know, the arbitrators will certainly hear you out and very frequently give you what you want in terms of like procedural concessions and whatnot. We have one uh, lawyer in New York who represents a lot of companies in the energy business who have offices and trading floors in Houston And he has asked on more than one occasion that when it comes time for his client's witnesses to testify, that the panel hold a hearing in Houston so that his people don't have to wander far from the trading floor. They can take a conference room in the company's office in Houston. The panel and opposing counsel show up. Those people testify right there. And That's a great benefit to witnesses. You're not going to get a Southern District judge to travel to San Francisco or Houston to hear your witnesses. You've got to bring them to New York. our next speaker on these points is Molly.
1: So as an owner-operator um, wearing my clipper hat, one of the things that's important to us uh, in addition to all the things we've heard is in, uh, the markets have been pretty bad uh, the last few years. Uh, freight rates, um, higher rates have been low, uh, and I'm sure those are topics that are uh, set for other sessions. but. Uh, When you've got these debates or these disputes with other sides, one of the things that comes into play is that the amounts aren't significant. A a feature or an attractive feature to us um, as an owner is the shortened proceeding that SMA allows us to do. Um, It caps costs. uh, It caps fees. um, It ends up being one arbitrator, um, and it's a great way for us to use the system in a means that's cost efficient and gets us a result um, as well as some of the other things that we've been discussing. Another important feature is the, uh, um, and I think it's been referenced a little bit, is the emergency procedure. You can impanel um, uh, an arbitration panel in a very short period of time if you've got something that needs to be resolved uh, overnight. In fact, I believe David Martowski's got an example of one that, that he's been involved with where. Uh, a, a decision needed to be made very quickly. You get the call, can we get a resolution on this right away? And uh, yes, under SMA rules, the, the capability is there. Yeah,
3: there was a, a case 30 years ago on a ship called Endeavor. It's uh, reported. Uh, I represented K-Line. And K-Line's uh, guy called me in. He says, uh, I've got a demand for immediate arbitration. I said, how immediate? Next two weeks? He said, no, 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 tomorrow. Um, hmm. It's enough to stop your heart as a lawyer I'm sure you know In any event we were able to impanel um, three arbitrators uh, we had no briefs it involved the water workers Federation of Australia's safety ladders the only exhibit I had was a sketch of these damn ladders from the Journal of Commerce and uh, we went into the pit we arbitrated for four hours I had to cross-examine Hammond Cedahom, who was on the other side, was an arbitrator I appointed a lot. That was a lot of fun. And uh, the arbitrators um, recused themselves and came back three hours uh, later with a decision around midnight. So it does work. Um, I just came back from Copenhagen, where the International Congress of Maritime Arbitrators was held. And there were a lot of complaints about other venues who can't produce this kind of a result. So New York has done it and is able to do it today and tomorrow.
1: Sums up my, uh,
0: okay, Molly's done with her points. And we conclude this portion of the topics with Leanne.
2: Um, so a lot of uh, what I would be saying has already been touched upon. Uh, David did mention that I would come back to uh, the publication of the awards in New York. Um, and from, again, a commercial perspective. If we can avoid any dispute resolution process, we will. So the availability of I think it's something like 4,300 reasoned uh, arbitration awards and decisions. These can be reviewed when we or our members are taking a decision as to when we want, if we want to pursue arbitration as an option, or if, based on the te- you know the leanings of the awards that we can see, uh, settlement is a better option. So. Uh, I think we're living in a world where certainly commercially and contractually arbitration is being preferred over litigation for the reasons that we've already discussed. Uh, So we would hate to see a situation where precedent, notwithstanding that it's not binding, ceases to be developed. We still want to see the ways in which commercial men and women are leaning when it comes to these issues, which naturally will come up uh, for different companies. Um, So that's a big... uh, you know, that's a a benefit, I think, to having at least the option to publish the awards. Um, You know, obviously New York uh, and London, the the issue that comes up is the two-tier legal system. It's a benefit that here you pay attorneys if you want to, parties are entitled to represent themselves however they wish, Um, but you don't have the compounding legal expenses of both barristers and solicitors, which can occur uh, certainly in the big cases in London. Um, and the final point that I was going to make uh, is you know, a, a slightly um, theoretical still, but I did start looking into the schools of thought out there on the impact of Brexit on international uh, arbitration going forward, and in particular as to whether London will retain its predominance in, in the field of arbitration. Um, I suppose the first point is that while London traditionally has been the go-to, and probably still is today, the go-to arbitration forum, um, it's been eroded over the last number of years because there are now some very credible, viable alternatives. New York, of course, uh, which you're seeing listed in more and more charter parties, but also Singapore, UAE, Hamburg, Denmark, I believe. You know, a lot of countries are developing uh, their arbitration capabilities. So for London to retain its hold uh, was already reasonably difficult, and then Brexit happened. So London uh, has traditionally been the centre of the European financial world, um, and I'm not saying that that will change. I wouldn't presume to know how Brexit will play out, but there is certain, certainly a lot of uncertainty introduced into the UK as a result of their vote. Um, so. You know, people are drafting their contracts now, and they're drafting their arbitration clauses now or their dispute resolution clauses, and you have to assume that a lot of these clauses will be relied upon in a post-Brexit world, um, and people just don't know how that is going to play out. So um, it's impossible to imagine that people don't have an eye on that right at, you know, at this moment. Um, and then, you know, maybe this is probably extremely theoretical, but there is the psychological impact on companies, in particular, let's say, European companies, who are, you know, contemplating continuing to name London as their preferred seat, with full knowledge that the British have voted to extract themselves from this well-founded European institution. So. Um, It's a thought. It's probably not going to be answered, certainly not by me and probably not by anybody for the next couple of years, but it's something to keep in mind.
0: Thank you, Leanne. These are all interesting points. I I think Leanne's last point is particularly interesting. I mean, there's enough uncertainty in day-to-day life, right, certainly there's uncertainty in shipping. When a a ship leaves the port with a cargo on board, you you don't know really what's gonna happen on a voyage. You hope for no incidents, and that's usually the case, but sometimes it isn't. So you don't want the added uncertainty of this you know, this Brexit cloud sort of hanging over your forum. And, and we're very happy that we're not laboring under that um, disadvantage at this point here. With respect to Leanne's point about publication of awards, I'd just like to cite an example. We had a situation in our office. We were approached by a party to an ASPA Tank Boy form. It's like 12 or 13 years ago. And they had an argument they wanted to make under Aspatankvoy. As you know, Aspatankvoy, like Gen Con or the New York POTUS exchange form, is a very commonly used form. Uh, there are lots of New York arbitration awards that have considered and adjudicated issues under VOI. So we, we took this inquiry and did research and found not one, but seven SMA awards dealing with the same issue. Six of those awards went one way, only one went in favor of the argument that our client wanted to make. So, you know, we, we faced the client with the facts. It's like, look, you have a tremendous uphill battle if you press this point. If you want us to do it, we'll do it, but we think the chances of your winning are are virtually nil. And they decided to leave the money in their pocket and not fund the arbitration. I think that was a wise move. You don't have that kind of predictability if, you're working on the tabula rasa, and you don't know what arbitration panels that have considered that issue before have done. There's an ongoing debate in London. I think some of the solicitors, and perhaps even some of the arbitrators, are not totally happy with the results of the 1996 Arbitration Act, because it has limited more than in the past uh, the extent to which London arbitration awards can be reviewed by the courts. And the thought is that with fewer awards being before the court, so that you see what the arbitrators did and whatnot, you have a slower and less robust development of, of maritime charter party law in London than you once did. Um, I haven't heard of any great hue and cry to reverse the 96th Arbitration Act, but there is a concern that that result uh, could flow. So um, to wrap up, we don't have much time left, but we have a little time left. Um, do any of the panelists have any, any final points they'd like to make, uh, either in favor of arbitration generally or in favor of New York over other forums?
4: I, I can only say uh, one thing. As Keith mentioned at the outset, I was in Asia for quite a number of years. And <clears throat> I'd say the number of venues that are offering themselves for uh, the hearing of arbitral disputes has been expanding quite a bit in, in the last 10 20 years, where it really was New York and London for maritime disputes historically. Now you have Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, shipping exchange. David and I just heard that Kuala Lumpur is starting a new system there. Dubai was also present. Qatar. Qatar uh, we Danish Institute of Arbitration, so there's a proliferation of venues which are offering themselves as places where you can arbitrate, and that's not limited to overseas. We have Miami, Houston, Vancouver, Seattle, all of which also say we are an arbitration center for maritime arbitrations. But despite that, there are only two places that have a record of achievement of arbitration, and that still remains New York and London. If if someone wishes to go to another place, that's fine, but I think the record of achievement in New York is, uh, is one that should be borne in mind if somebody is thinking about, well, where would be the best place to arbitrate? Thank you.
3: I'd, I'd simply add, as I said earlier, that um, we in New York think we get it right, we get it exped- expeditiously done at a reasonable cost, I'll also take this opportunity to plug the International Congress of Maritime Arbitrators. We had uh, ICMA-20 in Copenhagen last week. We drew 250 delegates from 35 countries. We had uh, 120 papers presented, Uh, 19 uh, delegates were from the United States, New York. We presented uh, nine papers, which were very well received. And the vote for the next ICMA venue will be Rio de Janeiro in uh, a date to be determined in 2020. And we hope to see you there.
0: Thanks, David. Do any of you have questions? Michael. Dick,
3: how many other venues
4: throughout the world publish awards in the same way that you organize? <clears throat> I would say very few. I think Singapore has a system for some awards to go online. Japan but gen- Japan
3: exchange, I think.
4: Japan Shipping Exchange may, but the Japan, the Japan Shipping Exchange basically is only handling arbitrations of domestic disputes, Japanese company to Japanese company. But I would say in terms of New York, 4,300 awards plus that have been published, nobody comes close. I mean, 100 might be a max somewhere. I, I can't imagine it. It's, it's, uh, so I, the answer is I think it's very few to nil.
0: Any other questions? Sir.
4: My initial thought was, when you spoke, was to be a little bit catty and say maybe the ingenuity of the lawyers is uh, lacking, but uh, I'm sure <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, David nodded his head yes in terms when you mentioned confidentiality. I can't explain why, but to me it's a tool that's out there could, that could be easily used, should be used more. And
3: uh, I, I was on a panel in uh, Rio de Janeiro in uh, August of 2015 with um, London solicitors and the Brazilian team and all the rest of it. And we, we got into this debate between London confidentiality, New York publication of awards, and confidentiality if you wanted it. This debate's been going on for 50 years. It'll go on for another 50 years. And simply put, my own feeling is we court the market we want to please. And if people are happy in London by having their awards treated confidential, fine. The point we're making is in New York, you can have it both ways or either way if you want it. So
4: maybe there's not really an answer to your question why. But your point about an article about it and its availability is a good one. So we can take that up. Yes.
1: Yeah, I
0: hate to make a self-deprecatory remark, but Dick, I don't think you should Discount the lack of ingenuity by counsel <laughs> because until until you raise no that rare. point in our discussion <laughs> yesterday afternoon That's that's something that I'm not even sure I knew was embodied in the SMA rules So I think Chris is an excellent idea if you know you have that in an article it gets circulated trade wins picks it up uh, The bar is more aware of it the P&I clubs and the fd and clubs are more aware of it and the users are more aware of it We are out of time and we don't want to interfere with the next panel. Thank you for your attendance and your attention.